podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Big Bad Ben bundles Boycott, Butcher and Botham to make Headingley history. The tea leaf reading begins ahead of Old Trafford. No Kane, no cry as New Zealand beat Sri Lanka and the weather to square the series. And Rahane and Bumrah star as India dominate in Antigua. Gorging ourselves on the World Test Championship, this is the Gorilla Cricket Podcast. Welcome to the Gorilla Cricket Podcast. We come to you from the bridge of the Starship Gorilla on the morning of Friday the 30th of August, which means we're slap bang between Headingley and Old Trafford. Like that farm in the middle of the M62, who the guy who pref- wouldn't sell up and they had to build the motorway around him. I'm your host, Knuckle M. Pandey, and we're joined uh, by someone who was there one day too early, making his in-person pod debut. It's Roger McCann. Hi, Knuckle. I was there for the first three days, let it be known. Yeah, and uh, you thought you'd seen plenty of excitement, but uh, who could have foreseen what happened on day four? And someone who uh, was there, or rather here, uh, for day four, coming in off his biomechanically efficient long run, it's Marshalls and Patrick Hewitt. Hey, Knuckle. Hey, Rog. Um, hey. I'm back. Let's chew the fat. Let's get into this. Yeah, uh, why, don't we, why don't we get into it with something that's very close to your hearts, both of you. Um, Matt, you, you um, are uh, a fan of Caribbean cricket and a... And a Perhaps not always a fan of Caribbean cricket, but certainly someone who follows it very closely. You, in fact, have started your own podcast on Caribbean cricket. And Rog, uh, of course, born in Jamaica, it's a subject very close to your heart. Um, so that we don't sort of give it short shrift, let's get into that the test match that has just finished in Antigua. India uh, winning by their by a record margin, their biggest ever away win in terms of runs. It was quite a good test match for for long parts of it, but just pretty the boomer kind of blew it all apart. I think Hane got, got mad of the match for his... Uh, 80 in the first innings and then his, his 100 his first in a couple of years uh, but uh, with uh, quite astonishing figures uh, the, the test match eventually belonged to this man and now they're Marty Bombra oh you're balling again aren't you oh I thought as much out swingers in swingers swing pace seam he's got it all Johnny you're first Rog yeah, well yeah, in ter- yeah Boomra was incredible on in that last day I think It had been set up with that first innings lead. But yeah, Boomerang removing poles was a pretty thrilling sight and uh, astonishing figures. What a threat he'll be. It'll be interesting to see how he, what sort of pitch he has to go on in Jamaica today. I think um, in terms of the West Indies match, we both agree that the, the problems are in their, their batting, the top order. The, the attack is going pretty well. Gabriel Roach is in an Indian summer, if you forgive the clumsy phrase, of his career. Um, Kimo Paul to come in. But it's, I thought a real turning point was when Ralston Chase, who was set in the 40s in the first innings, and a West Indies, you know, who would have been buoyed by, by getting rid of India for under 300 in that first innings, were going about okay. There'd been Shamar Brooks on debut. Had got a, there were a few starts up there, but Chase was in. Chase has a good record against. Gave his w- wicket away rather cheaply, and you just felt that at that point, that India, and then never, India never really looked back, you know, get a 100-run lead. Rahane and Vihari batted well in that second innings and, and yeah it was a mismatch from then on and it's going to hide the West Indies cut, turn around from that yeah there's um, there's so many different narratives within this test match um, that I could literally wax lyrical on so I'll try to just narrow it down to the key bullet points and uh, if either of either one of you want to jump in on them by all means do so first things first so let's deal with Bumrah um, because Ben Stokes was doing what he had done, in fact, because of the the West Indies, so that Bumrah was doing what he was doing actually after the England game was over, but probably so many people were stuck in the euphoria of what Stokes had done, and they probably didn't even watch it live. I, 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 in, England and, cricket fans were kind of exhausted by yeah. by the ridiculousness of what had happened on that day. But yeah, it did get missed. Uh, eight overs, four maidens, five for seven. Uh, yeah. Just breathe, Bumrah has become the first Indian bowler to take Fifers in South Africa, Australia, England, and the West Indies in just his, il- and he's only played his eleven Test matches. Uh, but you know, as you say, um, it sort of happened a little bit while everyone was still a little bit high. Mm. Um, if you still haven't seen it, the the spell he bowled, I suggest everybody go and find it. I think at the time whilst I was watching, I was doing my usual thing of just bemoaning everything about West Indies cricket. When I then 
Uh, no, actually, that's a lie. When he got Holder mm. is the moment at which I said, you know what, let me actually apl- apl- applaud this guy because this is world-class bowling um, that I'm seeing. And it wasn't just Holder. His delivery to get rid of Shy Hope as well, who'd actually, one of the few batsmen who'd come in in the second innings and tried to play straight and actually play balls on their merit. But Bumrah just um, conjured up a delivery that... I said to I said on another podcast recording I did recently that um, I think Bumrah's spell would have got rid of every batsman in the world except possibly Steve Smith, and even then Smith would have needed some luck luck on his side to survive it. So there is a side of it where I have to criticise West Indies and Rogers right they collapsed um, completely as per usual, um, but Bumrah was magnificent. But just aside from that, the other kind of narratives to unpick uh, within that test uh, again Rogers right. Chase's dismissal in the first innings was the key. He was set. He looked comfortable um, and got out loosely. Every single West Indian batsman had a start and couldn't cash in in the first innings. If you had told any West Indian fan, we're going to put India in and dismiss them for under 300, even though it should have, probably should have been even less than the 290-odd, I think. 297 uh, yeah. with Ravindra Dadeja scoring 58, marshalling the tail very well as Shant Sharma uh, both scored more runs and batted more delivery than any England batsman managed in the first innings at Headingley but we'll get on to that uh, uh, later 97 for 5 not 97 for 5 sorry 97 for 4 maybe yeah um, 93 for 4 when Kayla Rahul got go. out yeah. when Jadeja came in at number 8 they were 189 for 6 yeah so and I think what hampered the West Indies is Roach and Gabriel did what they needed to do, but there wasn't actually any backup to follow Roach and Gabriel. So the selection was wrong. Um, Brooks was in on debut at number three when you have Shimron Hetmeyer and Darren Bravo, who should be batting above him. Um, Shy Hope had to wicket-keep. He came in at number six. Hetmeyer came seven. Jason Holder, who is actually technically probably the best batsman in, in that West Indies side, is batting number eight. So there's so many things wrong with yeah. how that team is constructed. Well, the balance of the no team surprise. was completely thrown off by the late injury to Shane Dowrich. Yes, of course. You lose, yeah. a fan, you lose an excellent wicketkeeper and someone who can score runs down the order. It means that Hope had to come down the order when he's um, one of the West Indies' best players in the top order. And you uh, and they tried, uh, as you say, Shamar Brooks on debut uh, against a very good attack at number three. Hetmeyer was up and down the order. Uh I don't think there's any sign that Darich is going to be fit for Jamaica, no, no, is there? Which is, uh, start, so, which is yeah, a test Dar- match that's Dar- starting Darich later today. Darich is out. The only changes for Jamaica, Kimo Paul's back in. Miguel Cummins is out. So the, the big question mark going into, to, into today's test match, Paul will obviously play. He'll replace Kim, Miguel Cummins. The question mark that everyone's waiting for, the pitch is green. So what they've shown today is that the, the creators of the pitch have said we're, we're, we're leaving it green. Because they, they want to maximise the, the West Indies' benefits, which is obviously the fast bowling. Um, but I would strongly advise Floyd Reefer and Jason Holder to give Rakeem Cornwall a debut. Drop one of the batsmen. You play Cornwall and Paul, who are both lower order bats, and have a bigger bowling threat. Uh, bigger in more ways than one. Uh, bowling threat and see how that goes. It was a bit of a surprise that Cornwall didn't play um, the first test in Antigua. I don't know about you, I'm, I'm never a fan of going into a test match without a specialist spinner. And Roston Chase, for all of his eight-fur heroics earlier this year, is not a specialist spinner. No, he's not quite. Although I, th- I think he's a very, very useful spinner, and he did bowl reasonably well. But yes, to give him the, the, the full workload load seems to be hampering the team. And I think that's the theme of the West. They're just not helping themselves. You know, these sort of seem like glaringly obvious... Um, mistakes in the batting order like Hetmeyer at seven when he's one of the most exciting t- you know give him a, a, an opportunity to, to influence the game and it's 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 very it's unfair we saw it with Ollie Pope thrusting him in at four we've seen it with Jason Roy having to open these guys on debut to put Shamar Brooks in at three against a world-class pace attack is it's just not you're just not helping yourselves and um uh, like I say, I, I've seen this thing about the pitch today, but but I agree. I, I like a spinner, and I and I think maybe back to you, Nagel. The the Indian question is: Will Ashwin replace Jadeja? I think we touched on the the value Jadeja gives you with those late order runs, and and a terrific holding spinner. I know Ashwin is a kind of like for like in 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 um, in terms of his, his batting. He's not a mug with a bat. You know, he can bat no, number he eight. No, certainly has a, he has a few test hundreds. He's not. 
he doesn't have Jadeja's ability, or he's never demonstrated Jadeja's ability to bat with a tail or his ability to counter-attack. And I think that his batting is probably not where it was a couple of years ago. Ashwin has a superb record with the ball in the West Indies. It can yeah, probably give you more mm. as an attacking weapon. Whether India feel they need an attacking weapon with Ishant and uh, Shami and Bumrah bowling so well is another question. I think it's a bit of a 50-50 at the moment. Yeah. Because, and that's testament to Jadeja, who I think was some way down the pecking order uh, in the last couple of years. But since he's come back into the team for the Asia Cup, uh, he's kind of not looked back in the last um, what nine months or so. Uh, I don't know if there will be any changes to the Indian team. Maybe they give Rohit Sharma a run out, but I don't really see which of the middle-order batsmen you're leaving out uh, for that. Yeah, that, uh, that change possibly uh, with, uh, with Ashwin coming in for Jadeja is the only one that I can see. The openers, Rahul and, and Agarwal. Uh, Rahul scored runs in the first innings. Agarwal uh, got a start in the second innings. They're both kind of basically batting for one position when Prithvi Shaw was back from his doping ban. Um, it's an interesting position with so many teams around the world are sort of playing with placeholder openers or placeholder top three batters. Um, speaking of top order players, um, someone who the West Indies have been relying on for a long time, Craig Brathwaite, horribly out of form. Yeah, um, his dismissal in, was it the second or the first innings, which I can't even remember, um, the one where he hung his he bat He just out. fiddled out, it was the yeah. second, second innings. Second innings, the first one to fall in the, uh, in the yeah. second innings. That ball wasn't even going to hit, it wouldn't have hit a fifth stump. And the, the one thing that you've always associated with, with Craig Brathwaite is that he's stoic, he, he's compact, he, you have to get him out. Such is the, the lack of form he's in at the moment that he's finding ways to get himself out. And the worrying thing is, <laughs> it speaks volumes about West Indies cricket, no one can get dropped. Absolutely no one. You drop Craig Brathwaite, who's coming in? There isn't anyone. There's a couple of players in first-class cricket. Uh, Shiv Santej, um looks like he at least values his wicket, um, but hasn't got many shots. There's uh, Hodge um, out of the Leeward Isles. Um, but that's it. And Brathwaite is the vice captain, so the you can have a batsman in Craig Brathwaite who's averaging twelve or eleven in his last nine Test matches, knowing he's under no risk whatsoever of ever getting dropped from the West Indies cricket team, and that's a sad state of affairs. Yeah, fair. But uh, do, do you not think there's value a, a senior man like him, a vice captain, a man with a with a good track record? Yes, he's having a dip in form, but there. You know, the the counter argument I'm just putting out there is that I, he got last time he batted in Jamaica, he made a hundred against Bangladesh. So you know, he's a proud character. He's, of course, you think he's become become complacent. What you're essentially saying he's become complacent because he knows he can't be dropped. But what about what about the reserves of um, determination, and belief that he's shown in the past that he can. Uh, 100%. I'm not, don't, sorry, let me, let me clarify. I'm not saying drop him. Okay. I'm saying, okay. should, oh no, I'm saying he has to stay. Okay, but okay. the reality is, even if we wanted to drop I see, him, I got you. Yeah, there yeah. is no one. No so one. I, trust, I trust Craig to work his way through it, but in a good team, he would be dropped. It, gotcha. it, it also puts more pressure on whoever bats number three, whether it's Shamar Brooks or whether it's, yeah. it's Shea Hope. Do you have to make the call that you move Shea Hope up the order, even if it does put an awful lot of... Um, of workload, uh, an extra workload on him because he is one of the West Indies' yeah. best players. It's the old Alex Stewart riddle back in back in uh, yeah, in Vogue. or, or in, uh, kind of in more recent times, Kumar Sangakkara, who when he was keeping was sometimes a little bit further down the order than he should have been, and then was resurgent when he was uh, you know averaged averaged um, not that he was a bad player with the gloves, but he averaged seventy without them. The difference is that Shea Hope is by a distance a lot a far far worse wicketkeeper than either of those two. Um, could we see Nicholas Poorin in the West Indian test side at some point? I am about six months to one year from demanding that happen. Um, <laughs> but the reality is, again, it's where you stand on cricket. He doesn't play red ball cricket because he's so in demand uh, from 2020 franchises. I think most people who would have watched Puran finally get his place in the ODI side for the World Cup and um, afterwards in the India um, series. Um would recognise he has the ability. Um, and I don't think it would be out of Nicholas's um, uh, ability to adapt to Test Match cricket. But again, the purists will say you have to play Red Bull cricket to qualify to play Test cricket, and he doesn't. So 
what do you do? I love it when Marsh makes demands of the West Indies cricket board. <laughs> Need to listen to this man. Well, <laughs> speaking of demands, was, uh, we, we retweeted something this morning from uh, our friend Anth Condon, who's a cricket historian. Uh, it was a letter written to a paper uh, one week after the first ever England touring uh, 11 was selected, demanding demanding uh, or rather I think it was something like intruding upon the editor's thoughts uh, as the as the phrase went back then that two players were selected uh, in lieu of uh, of two players who were uh, who did eventually make the tour so uh, this one's as old as the hills but uh, yeah the West Indies find themselves like a lot of teams around the world with uh, a, a bowling a bowling attack in search of um, a search of a rest frankly um, because uh, the amount of work that uh, uh, that Roach and Gabriel and Holder and Roston Chase, you know, talk about his workload. 16 overs in the first innings, 38 overs in the second innings. Um, for for a, And bowling first change for a guy who is an acceptable, a very acceptable part-time spinner, but certainly um, not at the level that you should be bowling uh, 38 overs in in a test match. Quick question for you, Matt. Sorry, what, what's up with O'Shea and Thomas? Is he, is he not fit? or That's the issue, basically. Yeah. Um, we'll, there is a belief that he can barely get through an ODI 10-over spell. Or not 10-over okay. spell, but bowl 10-overs in an ODI. Um, he has played red ball cricket, actually, but fitness is, fitness is the issue there. Although, there was an argument, uh, and I know you want to move on now, Knuckle, but uh, there was an argument that the West Indies should have thought outside the box and selected Sheldon Cottrell um, on the basis that the, the Indian batsman might struggle more with a left armour. Um, I don't know where you stand on that, but there was an argument to I, say. I, I like selected. what I've looked. I like what I've seen of Sheldon Cottrell. Um, I think he's a cricketer of, of huge gifts and huge um, mental ability and huge adaptability to whatever situation he finds himself in. You know, he finds a way to make an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, the West Indies going in with only the two fast bowlers. Obviously, Alzari Joseph is injured. Someone who has troubled Virat Kohli in the past um, with the, with the short ball. It's hard. It, it's inarguable that he'd make a, a big difference to this West Indies attack. But you know, as we said, the bowling is not where the issues lie, particularly with the stellar form in recent times of uh, of Kemar Roach. Uh, moving on from Antigua, uh, we go to Colombo in the Pisara Oval, where uh, only three days uh, were possible in terms of actual play between the West between uh, New Zealand and uh, Sri Lanka. But uh, New Zealand did what they need to do. They batted big. They batted once. They got themselves a lead. And uh, all of the bowlers combined at two overs apiece for Trent Bolt, Tim Southey, Ajaz Patel and Will Somerville. Uh, and uh, off the back of 154 for Tom Latham, uh, 100 for BJ Watling to go with his 80 in uh, in the first innings. And, uh, well, he's the guy who gets the jingle because of his uh, continued excellence. But she never lost her head, even when she was... B.J. Watling! 105 of 226 uh, not out, in fact, in the uh, in the second innings, came in uh, with New Zealand still uh, trailing uh, by uh, by a significant uh, margin. In fact, no, he didn't come in with New Zealand trailing, but he came in with New Zealand only uh, with a slight lead. Uh, not to di- undo, not to do down the biffing of Colin de Grandom with his 83 or 77, and Tim Southey having a bit of fun uh, lower down the order, uh, going past Sachin Tendulkar in terms of all-time Test sixes. Uh, yeah, a hugely impressive win for New Zealand. Uh, Bolton Southie were excellent through the series, as was uh, Ajaz Patel, the left-arm spinner. Um, they are the second-best team in the in the world on the rankings, and it's hard to argue with that. Yeah, I think um, just on that, I think this World Test Championship with these three games going on at the same time, I, I've really enjoyed it. I think I've I've felt that kind of connection the three series. I've it's sort of there's been a tangible thing about it. It might even be with the names and the numbers on the back of the shirts, which I was sceptical about. But actually, I've sort of come to terms with it, and I think it does represent this new... It feels like there is a tournament, there is a loose tournament happening, and I, I felt that, you know, when I was at Headingley, and people were tuning into India Western, you know, even in the rain delay with Sri Lanka, New Zealand, people were a, sort of a more aware of what had happened in the first game and how it was all impacting on the series. And I think, so far, so good. And in terms of New Zealand being second in the world in the rankings, I think... Their adapted their yes their recent um, series success merits that warrants that and the way they bounced back to win in these challenging conditions especially the way the game was so shortened and they really grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck Watling such a um, determined player they're, they're just such a real balanced side aren't they you know they have guys who know their roles maybe in um, 
unlike what we're saying about the West Indies, if guys the Grand home at five and six, he knows when to come in and seize the game. Watling, you, you bat around him. He's done it before. Latham is so consistent at the top of the order. He, when he bats, he bats big. And again, the middle order. Williamson and Taylor didn't even have a decent no, series. No, Kane Williamson, 24 runs in three innings. Ross Taylor got some runs in the first test match, mm-hmm. but not a lot. Henry Nichols didn't do particularly, yeah. didn't do very much. But uh, yeah, Tom Latham um, and Dean with Karen Aratna, um, possibly the two best openings in, in test cricket at the moment in terms of in terms of form. Obviously, David Warner uh, has, a, has a long um, and distinguished track record, although he's not in not in his uh, best period of form. But yeah, Karan Aratna topping the averages uh, for, for Sri Lanka, made 65 in the first innings here, and then that 100, uh, excellent 100 in the uh, in the uh, first test match, unable to bat until number seven because of an injury uh, in, uh, in the second innings uh, in this test match that New Zealand won in Colombo, and maybe that did uh, make a difference. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, New Zealand uh, won in fading light with the rain, Closing in, the uh, Nirshan Dequella making a uh, uh, playing an unusual innings for for Dequella. We're used to seeing him dashing and uh, and flashing, but 51 of 161 balls trying to uh, bat it out with the tail only uh, gave it away very late uh, in the piece. Uh, but uh, what an excellent Test match it was! Yeah, um, the only thing I would add is I was mildly. I think there's two 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 ways of uh, approaching this. On one hand, I was mildly surprised New Zealand lost the first test. I think on on the surface, okay, yes, they tore in Sri Lanka, but bear in mind England had won 3-0 in Sri Lanka just the end of last year. Yeah, uh, November. So um, I was when New Zealand lost the first test, I was like, oh, is this a Sri Lankan resurgence? Did have New, have New Zealand underperformed? Obviously, they came back strong in the second. But also, I think, I think a lot of credit has to be given to uh, Kratner's captaincy because he was given that captaincy for the World Cup under I wouldn't say criticism but there was certainly controversy about him getting it well there was controversy about him being in the team in the team full stop but I actually think if you look at his Sri Lanka's World Cup performance they performed above expectation Um, I would argue they performed above expectation uh, in this test series as well so I think there's a lot of credit that has to be given I don't know enough about Sri Lankan cricket to say this with any certainty but over his captaincy of the side. He certainly seems to have... Um, they all seem to have brought into his captaincy one way or another. Yeah, De Quella made some comments between the first and second test match that he was enjoying Karana Ratner's uh, leadership style. And he, he's done what a few other recent um, Sri Lankan captains... Um, it seems very harsh to point the finger at Angela Matthews was all that he's done and had to do for Sri Lankan cricket uh, in this sort of post-Mahela Sangha uh, generation. But... Uh, He's he's very much been his own man, and he hasn't sort of been consumed by the captaincy in the way that uh, that Matthews seems to have been. Mm, yeah, um, and like I say, uh, what? How many points is it now for the? It's uh, they've got sixty. Yes, six each. So I think if you had said Sri Lanka were going to have sixty points at the end of their first first World Test Championship series, they would have been more than more than chuffed with that. Going yeah, forward. It's, it's been a weird few months for for Sri Lanka. You know, got whitewashed at home by England, then beat Sri Lanka, then South Africa away from home and we'll, uh, with Kusal Pereira and all that. And maybe we'll come on to, to him when we come to talk about Ben Stokes because uh, the similarities are inescapable. And now this, this drawn series, a two-test series obviously uh, is, is, a, is a small sample size. And it was, the point was made during commentary actually that the, the World Test Championship table is sort of not really worth looking at at the moment. For a start, not every team has played. Uh, you know, we haven't. South Africa and Pakistan haven't yet played uh, a, uh, a game in the World Test Championship. Uh, but I like it. But though. Yeah, it was. It, I, 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 I'm a fan. Um, I think that it. You know, this will know a lot more in a in a year and a half. I mean, you know, you talked about naming numbers, and you're you're a purist, Rog. Uh, you know, an aesthetic uh, puritan. In fact, possibly more than even a, more than even a purist. But look, I'm all for. I'm all for it. I, I don't really see how it can hurt. And you know, maybe we will see people, uh, kids walking around with Route 66 test shirts. Yeah, I just think more that it, the, the, it looks now, it symbolises this new kind of tournament, this new a new era, if you will. And uh, yeah, I think the point system is maybe slightly still on trial. Um, and again, it will re- require um, all the teams to have played at the very least in a few series before we can get a grasp on the, the point system. I'm still not sure that it, it's entirely 
correct. But no, no one does. You know, it's it's a brand new thing. But um, I just feel that with these three games, there seemed to be a thread tying all these these games together. And well, here we are. We are talking about all three now with absolutely, equal merit. Absolutely, and it would be We're intruding upon your thoughts. Absolutely, and we'll be remiss of us not to. Uh, you do get these periods in the cricketing calendar where you get three or four test matches going on at the same time. Um, this is happening a little bit earlier than usual. It's usually sort of October, November time. We get three or four tests going on. But yeah, it's been an absolute feast uh, of, of men's test cricket. And then you throw in all the other cricket that's going on uh, you know, around the world. The Americas qualify for the uh, for the uh, for the World T20. Pavel Florin took two Pavel, for three the other day. Pavel Florin in the Continental Cup. Uh uh, the Romania recording the biggest ever men's T20 international win uh, just just the other day. Uh, there's, uh, high times indeed. High times indeed. Uh, but uh, moving uh, north and a little bit west, we, Let's uh, get to we, it. Come we, on. we shift our attention uh, to Headingley, which has seen some of the most remarkable uh, cricket uh, that... Uh, from uh, Don Bradman's uh, two triple hundreds in his uh, in uh, his four test matches there through both them through Shea Hope now uh, to uh, Ben Stokes and you know we'll we'll start uh, we'll start at the end we'll start with when Ben Stokes clubbed Pat Cummins through the covers to seal uh, one of the most remarkable test wins ever. Stokes has flashed it away and it's there. Oh, oh beauty! Yes. Who was shouting, shouting louder, Ben Stokes or Tony Bishop? England win by one wicket in the greatest Test oh. match ever. You can uh, you can hear the question mark a little bit at the end of uh, that from uh, from Andy Ward, but uh, emotional scenes. It's making Rog smile uh, even as we sit here uh, a week on. I don't know. If greatest Test match ever is a question that we're qualified to answer in a in a relatively short podcast, uh, but. You you were there on day three, and you sort of saw the uh, the germs, the the stage being set for uh, for what happened. Because it would be very with all the with all the heroics of of Stokes and Leach, it would be remiss of us not to credit Root and Denley for their for their. I guess they're sort of they're nullifying their they them saying to Australia, you're actually going to have to work for this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. Roy got knocked over. It was fifteen for two, and Roy, you know, like he was really knocked over. And you just think, this is this is a low point. You know, we could be all of you know the the D mob thing had already kicked in. I was on the Western Terrace, and uh, already we or actually already we were discussing. You know, why has why has Roy even opened in the second innings? Why, surely again, what should England not be giving themselves the very best chance to get after these three hundred fifty nine runs, even if it's just a tink. Just to what, Jack Leach just to dwell, Eve. I mean, of course, all these theories were being put out there. But yes, as the day progressed, um, I mean, there was one point where Denley hit uh, Lyon over mid-off. He he came down to him, stroked him beautifully, and he was only in about twenty himself. And you know, he'd played and missed. He'd been he'd been seeing off the quicks, but he showed this the t- intent. And I liked Den. I liked the way Denley's gone about his business in this series. Yes, he hasn't scored a mountain of runs, but. He doesn't seem phased, you know. He, there's times when, yeah, the bowler, the bowlers are working him over, but he doesn't, you know. He's got a good um, comportment, and he stuck about it all day. Yes, and then we got to his fifty, and then wasn't he marooned for about twenty more balls, and finally worked out. But meanwhile, Root doing his the captain's thing, and yeah, people people just started to relax on the ground. It was a lovely sunny day, the Saturday at Headingley. People started relax, and then people started to believe and. Um, yeah, it was a real treat to be there, and a treat to be there for the first three days. If you go, you know, it does seem like a lifetime ago now. If you go back to those slate grey skies of day one and the the frustration of being on and off, on and off. It was my first time at Headingley. Um, oh, right. So uh, I was chuffed to just be taking it all in. I had a chat, you know, in all these rain breaks to go into the pavilion to get some uh, eggy tetleys down my neck and eat a few pies, and. Um, and, uh, and then eventually Joffrey came up and, and lit up the evening and got got people really fired up. The sixty-seven. We, I asked, do you want to do you want to take it from? Were you here for this or this on day two? I mean, that deserves a, maybe a podcast of its own. <laughs> I can't remember where I was. Uh, I definitely wasn't here, but I was I was somewhere watching either the in live or the highlights. Um, I mean, how do you even? Okay, I'm just gonna. You know, I'm gonna take. The, 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 the agitators, devil devil advocate view and all of this. First things first, you were here, Knuckles, so you must have heard me say it. 
um, or maybe you hadn't arrived yet. But I, when I went on air, I said a good team chases this down today. It was only 200 runs to get on a fourth day pitch with seven wickets remaining. And that's not to undermine how England did it in the end and undermine Stokes' innings. But it wasn't as difficult a chase as it should have been. I don't know. I know you're going to try and defend and say, yes, it was. It was a fourth day pitch. If it was a fifth day pitch and it was 200 to get with seven wickets remaining, I think, wow, you have to really talk it up. Stokes's innings was great, but the chase itself shouldn't have been difficult. Fourth innings chases are always harder than than the scoreboard situation made it look. And like England uh, finished on 156 for three. They were in a, a pretty decent position. And, you know, I think I said in the green room, actually, you know, if you were, you know, 120, 140 for six in the first innings, you'd think that was a pretty middling score. But that's not how uh, how fourth innings is work. Um, and, yeah, England did lose a whole bunch of wickets in a cluster after after lunch on, on the fourth day and made it a lot harder for themselves uh, than they needed to. Uh, and, yes, then maybe they did make it harder than it, need, than it needed to be. But that's what cricket does sometimes. You know, you, we the comparisons were made with the Edgbaston test in 2005. That wasn't a particularly big total that, uh, that Australia uh, were chasing. And they were a couple of times, um, you know, before Steve Harmison removed Michael Clark with that slower ball, for example, in a position where the chase should have been very firmly in their hands. But... I think that's almost what makes Stokes' innings greater is the fact that absolute carnage was happening all around him. And just the, the phases of that innings, you know, three off 60, of his first 67 balls, yes. 70, and the 77 of 44 was remarkable in its own right. And, and we'll, we'll get some audio of the, probably uh, what I think is the best shot of the, of the lot in there. But the 77 of 44 is made great by the three off 67. I agree with that. One hundred percent, I agree with that. Um, I just, I'm just trying to think where. I think England's win is remarkable because of the 67, and that's what and that's ultimately what everybody should really be talking about. It's the the position they've won from, given the first innings, is what makes the the win remarkable. And then you, so I think you look at that first, then you look at Stokes's innings and say, "Wow, that was magnificent." Um, and then from Stokes's innings, I branch out into maybe two or three different directions. Branch one, what a magnificent innings. And basically, he turned it into a 2020 innings. And if people ever say, oh, there's no point to 2020 and blah, 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 blah. He can't play that innings. 15 years ago, you can play that innings now if you have the ability, I think. Maybe you could argue people could have done 15 years ago. I'm not so certain. Um so there's that branch. The second branch um, is what I call... No, the second branch is I still think this has papered over loads of crap. Oh, 100%. Um, and I'm 100%. not sure if in the giddiness of what happened, people are ready to actually go, hmm, there might actually still be some problems with this side, but we'll see in the fourth test, see what happens. And then the third branch is um, the hyperbole that I think then... Was it hyperbole? The, I'm going to call it hyperbole, but I don't know if that's because I'm biased because I'm not English um, in terms of an England cricket fan. Um, the hyperbole that I think accompanied it, I, I saw... I saw, And maybe that's just what happens, but I saw one too many articles that either pronounce this as the greatest test match ever, the greatest innings ever, or... And I can't believe Mark Nicholas said it because I was like, oh, we're doing that again? I saw a lot of articles in the last few days which were like... And now this will inspire a whole new generation into cricket. And I was like, we're doing this again? Like, so, and, so that's the third, third branch. My, my agitating is over. <laughs> I, I'm all for getting carried away. I'm all for getting wrapped up in a moment. I thought there was a beautiful piece by Greg Baum in the Sydney Morning Herald about the joy and the, I think the necessity of getting carried away by sport. You're always going to be a hostage to fortune as a commentator, whether in writing or in voice, when you say the greatest. I was always trying to say one of the. It's all you can say. It's all you can say one of. You know, we saw, we talked about it a little bit earlier, South Africa and Sri Lanka. Uh, Kusal Pereira uh, with Vishwa Fernando as, uh, as his Jack Leach um, against a very good attack in their own conditions. 
was 153 and out, pulled off one of the most extraordinary uh, rescue jobs that you've ever seen in Test Cricket. And we, many people were talking about Brian Lara in Bridgetown in Barbados with, with Courtney Walsh's comedy stylings uh, at the other end. And perhaps in terms of purity of stroke play, that was a better innings. But that's Brian Lara we're talking about. That's Brian Lara almost at the peak of his powers. A little, perhaps a few years after the peak of his powers. Versus but Australia 99, though. Yes, against a good team. Uh, against, again, probably not quite Australia at their peak, but very close. Yeah. And look, you can watch the highlights on that of that innings and still swoon. It wasn't a, another one, and it wasn't a third inning. It wasn't a, sorry, a fourth innings, but you know, VVS Luxman again against Australia a couple of years later in, in Kolkata. And again, the, the stroke play throughout that innings was, was magnificent. But... Um, there's, there's one three-ball sequence where against Shane Warne where he, uh, they're all pitching on some middle and leg, turning sharply out the rough. Comes down the track, works through mid-wicket, drives straight, then goes inside out through the covers. Um, you know, you could put up that sequence with any three-ball sequence in the history of cricket and it would stand up very well. But through what Ben Stokes had to do, through all of the patience that he had to show on the, uh, uh, on the evening of day three and the morning of day four, uh, with, with Root going early, with his... Uh, you know, people were saying he didn't make a mistake. He did make a very significant mistake with the calling for the uh, for the runner, and we'll uh, we'll we have that moment uh, queued up uh, as well when uh, all seemed lost. Line again in to Stokes. The Stokes is forward. Oh no, there could be a run out here. Terrible trouble. England have lost a wicket due to a oh, run out. No. That is an absolute disaster. Joss Butler couldn't turn quickly enough. The throw came in from mid-wicket. And oh my God, can you believe how England can always find a way to throw a good position out the window? That's fairly reserved from Hando there. 253 <laughs> for six. Still a long, long way to go. At that point, a man who could have helped Stokes make it a little bit easier than it was in the end, but we didn't know that at the time. Sold down the river by Stokes. And his powers of recovery from that, and also his powers of recovery from the fact that at the end of day was it, at the end of day two, he bowled 15 overs on the trot and then bowled another 10 overs the next day. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to count to you, Matt. I'm going to say, I'm, I'm no qualms with saying it was the greatest test match ever. And and because of the how Ben Stokes and you talk about his powers of recovery, like, give it all the context. I'm sorry, um, Kushal Pereira. I'm even sorry, Brian Lara. This was the ashes. You know, the, first of all, let's give it 140 year context. Knuckles closing his eyes with desperation. But there's the con- there's the initial context. That's why the atmosphere was so red hot. Have you ever seen a Test match up? Okay, I know um, Bridgetown was pretty rocking when Lara got his. Don't get me wrong, but. This was a wild atmosphere. The reason it was a wild atmosphere, the context of, of Ben Stokes' recovery, Bristol being well recovered, that redemption story is amazing. The context of what he did six weeks ago, he won a World Cup. He, he, he performed the same role. When, when his teammates were falling around him, Stokes, and yes, again, with this, the 24-over spell, he drew on these astonishing reserves of fortitude, strength, stamina, willpower, to, when when Joffre Archer threw the watermelon beach ball back into the crowd, the crowd go crazy. Stokes is galvanized by that. That's the turning point of the test match. Never forget the, the, water, the watermelon beach ball. Stokes, and then, the, where, where, where was I? Yeah, he's bowled his 24 overs. The way he's had to bat, he's, yes, he's got rid of a key partner, Butler, the man who's, who's just taken the vice captaincy from. All this is, go, all this is um, the maelstrom that Stokes, but as long as he was there, he represented this hope for England. And then the shot, let's talk about the shot, the 2020, like you rightly said, Matt. He's flipping. I know Laxman, the purest, the three shots, of course. I would, I would watch those over and over again. But I've, Stokes, got, I've got it queued up and ready. Yeah, oh, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Two balls left to the over. Stokes goes for the switch hit. Oh, my word, what an Ooh. extraordinary shot. Shades of Kevin Peterson off Murley at Edgbaston over the, all those years ago. The switch hit for six over, over point. That was my shot of the day. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, all of the, the the bunting down the ground for two was remarkable. Uh, the purity of his ball striking, hitting down the ground and over the covers, going over fielders' heads, even though they were they were there set for it. But to conceive of that and to execute it so cleanly against, let's not forget, a world class finger spinner uh, on a turning track. I don't know if I've seen a 
I'm probably ha- I don't know if I've seen a better shot than that given the context. Yeah, uh, the, well, context is everything, it was, and it took me back as well to his, Stokes's 250 odd at Cape Town when, and I was commentating on that here for Gorilla and the number of times he placed. I mean, he, that day he middled everything. He didn't middle everything in this innings. You couldn't. I mean, you couldn't expect. And that, that Cape Town pitch was a lot friendlier for batting yeah. than this Headingley pitch was. The number of times he 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 would tuck one, or he would flash one through midwicket, and two fielders would exactly congregate as the ball hit the ropes. He did that on this. You know, he was doing it with sixes. He was doing it with with just muscled sixes, not quite middling it, but middling it enough. The, the couple of times he got it just over yeah. the... It was but just astonishing, the margins that he played with and, and eventually won. Very, very near the end. He goes over long off. Manus Labashain, who has maybe three, five yards to, to make up, has to die full length up in the air with his feet sort of at shoulder height, gets half a fingertip on the ball, and it goes over his head. But, you know, you talked about his, his physical powers. You know, he is the fittest player in in the England team. He may be one of the fittest players that cricket has ever seen. You know, they have to physically stop him doing extra training because he's because he's so dedicated to it. And that comes into play. His concentration and his ability to keep hitting the ball cleanly, to keep his shape, even with all of that going on, even with the lactic acid building up, even with the tension. How many times do you see players, you know, hit the ball cleanly, hit the ball cleanly, and then tire and choke up on their shot and top edge it up in the air or try and hit the ball too hard. There was none of that from Ben Stokes. Yeah, it was it was astonishing. Just when you thought he went from 30 runs in and he kept taking on those leg side boundary riders and beating them. And can, no, Mash, please. Can I, I'm, can, I I'm a in, can I throw a spanner in the works here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I discussed this. <laughs> Me throw a spanner in the works. Um, if Australia win this series, who cares? I just want to just throw this... No, 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 hold on. I want to throw this out here. Because if Australia win the next two tests, don't get me wrong, you'd still watch this test match back in future... You know how Sky do it, future Ashes highlights. I'll remember when Ben Stokes did that. But there are still two test matches to play. And I'm not saying you mustn't pause and celebrate great things in sport. This was an amazing... And just in case anyone who's listening to this is like, Never, never. No, this was amazing. Yeah. It was a fantastic innings. Um, but even me, who doesn't actually care who wins the Ashes, is like, there are still two more to go here. Yeah, yeah, there are. And you know, Australia have a certain Mitchell Stark waiting in the wings, and, and we Steve might, Smith. and Steve Smith coming back in. We might, well, we'll finish. I think with uh, you know what I call tea leaf reading, which is you know. Well, no, simultaneously, my favourite and least favourite bits of build-ups to test matches. Everyone is reading so much into practice sessions and into into practice matches. You know, this game that Australia are playing uh, at Derby. But yeah, the series is the series is is poised. It's one all with two tests to go. And you know, a lot of people have been writing these pieces that you know the you know Australia just have to or England rather just have to rock up at Old Trafford in the Oval. You know, powered by Ben Stokes's magic uh, to to win the series. You know, uh, writing the inevitability. Um, um, narrative before it's even happened, you know. In the same way that it wasn't inevitable that uh, the, the last three tests of the 05 series happened the way they were after um, Geraint Jones caught Michael Kasperich down the leg side at Edgbaston, there's still a hell of a lot of cricket to be played. Yeah, but, we've, and, but and it's just why we're licking our lips. It's why the euphoria has not really died down five days on from, from Sunday because he's salvaged well England have salvaged the series and the three tests have been fantastic tests they've been pretty well matched okay Oz well the way Oz turned around uh, Edge Baston was a terrific and they won they won going away but England matched them then, this, this, then the new the archer comes into it then we've got Smith and then and we're going to have Anderson coming back we haven't even seen Anderson bowling at Steve Smith yet and, and we're three tests well, in. so we, there's we, so much we, cricket that we can play I just think we, we're Surely expecting close cricket like we had in 05. We had a post-edge bass, we had an extraordinary draw at Old Trafford. And, and we just knew we were in a sort of classic series. And that's how we, it kind of feels like Yeah, now. for sure. I mean, forgiven for the over- for I think it's a little bit more like 09. You know, the overall quality of the teams is nowhere near as high as it was in 2005. That's, that's fair, that's fair. Yeah. Um, we've seen sort of individual extraordinary batting performances from Smith and from Stokes. And to an, and Labba Shane actually, who probably who shouldn't be overlooked as well. But in sort of faltering teams, we do have two superb attacks up against each other. Mm. Um, you know, it might be like two thousand and nine, where it's sort of individual performances in two teams who are 
at sort of different stages in the uh, sort of not quite at their peaks a little bit. 2009 was, to my mind, the last good Ashes series yeah, uh, before yeah. before this one. 2010-11 was funny, uh, and but England were quite a, by quite a long distance superior to Australia mm-hmm. uh, in in that series. You know what England would give now for a for moaning about Ian Bell only scoring hundreds when other people score hundreds. Uh, but, you know, we could have a fantastic series on our hands. And I've, I've been a little bit tired of the Ashes over the last few years. There's been there's been a lot of Ashes series back uh, in close proximity. They haven't been very good. I think 2015 left me a little bit cold. 17-18 um, was, you know, I never, ever want to see another pitch like Melbourne as long as I live. Uh, and, and the series sort of petered out into nothing. Uh, but we could have a wonderful, um, a wonderful couple of weeks on our hands, and you know we still got this Test match in in Jamaica to go, which is, which is starting today. The New Zealand series is over, but we have England and New Zealand to look forward to. We have England in South Africa to look forward to. We have India South Africa to look forward to, and that's just to the end of 2019. So just just unpicking that. Oh, and Bangladesh playing Afghanistan in a one-off Test match. Isn't that now soon? To- it's very soon. Um, just unpicking that slightly. Um, and looking at Test cricket, obviously we're in, now in the midst of the WTC twenty one hashtag. Um, this England team, the hashtag goes in front. <laughs> yes, true. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this England team lost to West Indies at the start of the year. Um, are we in an era of just terrible Test cricket? Absolutely not. No, come on. No, no, absolutely hold on. No, not. no, no, no. What, what no, do you mean? No, 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 no. What do you mean no, no. absolutely not? Rog, back me up. Now, what I mean by that is West Indies just got humiliated by India. India's biggest ever victory in the Caribbean. In Not even just like their biggest, their biggest victory, but away from home. Not like not even at home, right? Um, this same West Indian side humiliated England. This England-Australia series, as you just said, is captivating, but because both teams are captivatingly shit. Um, with some individuals doing some great well, stuff Well, no, we've here got two there. excellent attacks and two... Subpar batting two floor, lineups. Two flawed batting lineups, but the two... Cu- the that two doesn't make good test cricket. Well, I mean, it, no, it, it makes clip- interesting test cricket. I mean, it doesn't made, mean it's good test it's cricket. It's made for three superb test matches. Yeah, but that's because they're flawed, not because they're good. No, seriously. Let's unpick. No, I want to. I, I, I want to deep dive into. No, this. you make a strong. I, I, you can argue these cause very well, Mash. And um, I th- Knuckle and I might align ourselves on the other side, which would be like there's no such thing as bad test yeah, cricket. You get bad test cricket when you get dull, dead pitches. Okay, fair. That's the fair. only thing that can make test matches bad. You know, I think we've seen maybe one bad test match in the last three or four years, and it was that Melbourne test where the pitch wasn't good. You couldn't score quickly on it. You couldn't bowl fast on it. You couldn't bowl spin on it. Okay, what? Okay, let me phrase them. Is the quality high? It can be. I think we've seen we've seen some of the some absolutely absolutely standout innings and because the reason we've seen standout innings and the reason they've stood out is because the quality of bowling around the world is as good as it's been for a very long time we went through a period in the mid to late 2000s where the bat was very much on top but now every team around the world pretty much has very good um fast bowlers so flip that what about the batting the every batting, team but, around the world has no openers okay not every team but you know what i mean like the the I, it's I'm hard. Not, I'm not Op- op- opening batting is harder than it's been for a long time because the bowling's been better because the pit because the, we have this crop of bowlers all over the world. You know, we talked about India, we talked about the West Indies, Australia still have Mitchell starting to come through. New Zealand have Bolton Souther and Wagner, Bolton Southey and Wagner, who's not even playing in this in this series. South Africa keep coming up with fast bowlers. You know, Pakistan have Mohammed Abbas, who's you know some of the best figures since the First World War. Okay, do uh, you think? And and because the pitches are are more geared towards um, bowlers they're, they're more helpful to, for the bowlers and the balls are, be- are better than they were before you know the Duke ball that's been used no, uh, no. in England is moving a lot you know the West Indies pitches are now very helpful for the bowlers and, the, and they've been using the Duke ball South Africa still uses the kookaburra but the pitches have been at times almost a little bit too difficult for uh, for the bowlers and all of that's made it much harder uh, for, for opening batters uh, and, and top three batters and these things come and these things come and go. These things, um, these things are cyclical, and they play off each other. The batting and the bowling 
Um, you know, I, I've always been a little bit skeptical of people who want ba- a balance between bat and ball because actually, if you had a fifty-fifty balance, teams would be bom- being bowled out for under a hundred every single innings because batting's really, really difficult. So this goes back then to my papering over the cracks aspect because should England in the fourth test get dismissed for under 200 in any other innings which I would argue if I was if I had money to bet I'd be betting that right now oh, I wouldn't now. be a surprise at all that I am saying that's not just because Australia have a good bowling line I'm saying because actually the quality is not that good yeah I think Roger. yes I think the quality it's fair to say the quality of test match batting is is not a is not its highest level and that's maybe a well-trodden path of there's lack of, people aren't playing as much first-class cricket. Techniques are well, cha- t- techniques are changing uh, with uh, the different formats uh, of the it, game. It's interesting on a global level, actually, because if you look, a lot of countries are playing more first-class cricket than they ever have. And actually, to some extent, certainly in Sri Lanka, that's probably not a good thing because there's actually too many teams and the quality's uh, lacking. Pakistan, there was a very interesting piece on Crick Info about Pakistan first-class cricket. There are more first-class teams and more first-class cricket played in Pakistan than there has been for a while. But because of that, the, the quality is a little bit diluted and the pitches are not particularly strong. You know, England's in a weird position because of it's actually scaling back its amount of first-class cricket and because of the scheduling as well. You know, there's not a lot during uh, sort of batting-friendly times of year. But then you look at, you know, you look at India and Australia and still have very strong, and South Africa still have very strong first-class competition. So, you know, if, you know this, this argument can get a little bit Anglo-centric. Yeah, okay, fair. But, but I, I do want to agree with Mash that batting standards aren't, aren't great at the moment. That we've seen better. We've seen the era of Tendulkar, Laxman, Ponting, Clark, you know, up to then, which Cook. Sanga. Sanga, of course. So many. Lara. But what I, will, I do want to counter Mash in you saying is, is this all, it was a poor era. I think it's the, there's an e, there's a grad evenness among the countries. Again, you go back to the thread of the tennis championship, which, which, ho- which will help to sort of highlight this better. There's all unpredictable results. There's Sri Lanka going away and winning. You know, there's, yes, yes, India have just marmalized West Indies, but that's a historic thing. You know, that's, that's what India kind of progressing, developing with a, with a battery of quick bowlers that they've never had before. So you're seeing test match teams developing game learning there wasn't so long ago we were saying you can only win a test match when you're playing at home but look at England go down to Sri Lanka play with a very kind of novel approach but they discover a new spinner they bat with sort of abandon they come away with 3-0 well, and then but, but, Butler does this Butler plays two completely contrasting um, 50s where one of them he uh, you know, sweeps like his Graham Gooch, and then uh, the next one he decides yeah. tonight, Matthew, I'm going to be Michael Clark. Yeah. So whilst I w- I th- I'm enjoying this current, there's a, it's very engaging Test match cricket at the moment, and um, and and w- yes, we're ra- slap bang in the middle of a super engaging Ashes series, and uh, I'm I'm just here to you know. I know you are. I know you are. I know you're nervous because it's, it's 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 we're we're four hours from uh, Sabina Park and you know that you you're uh, Listen, p- I, in four hours time I'm going to be furious. <laughs> well, uh, well, let's get together. You, you, let's rally round each other. Come on, we we'll we'll get it on the telly you and we'll do what we can. This, you see this all in in one international cricket. Actually, from the point of view of a team, um, when a team chases a chases a total in a very control and very by their st- by their from their point good uh manner it's often not that engaging because there's no jeopardy because yeah. actually the art of odi chasing and in a lot of cases the art of batting full stop is to remove that jeopardy mm-hmm. and it's that sense of anything might happen at any moment which has made test cricket so great for the last three or four years you know there's a lot of different definitions of good so can i uh, can just quickly interject looking at um, Old Trafford them yep and I think both of you touched on it the the narrative coming out of Headley was now the um, momentum is with England I don't necessarily buy that but um, what changes are to be made if any looking at both sides it's hard to not see Anderson come back in if he's fit and you know he's played these two second 11 games the obvious change would be him for Chris Wokes and I suspect that is the change that will happen. There's a lot of talk of Denley and Roy swapping positions. You know, Trevor Bayliss has been saying before Roy was even picked for Ireland that he sees Roy as four or five. I'd argue why not pick him at four or five if that's where you think he should bat. Um, you know, Dom Sibley is waiting in the wings as a potential opener. But 
you know, Joe Denley's had to cover for a whole number of different positions. You know, he's a sacrificial one, three, and four within the space of his test career. I feel a little bit sorry for him. You know, it, he's done as well as anyone. I think you're right. His his innings and his stroke play and his maturity, um, perhaps aided by the fact he probably never thought he'd got a ch- he'd got he'd get another chance, was very very impressive at Headingley, um, and he gave ample support to to Joe Root. That might be a change that happens for Australia. Um, Smith is going to come back in. Labashane is obviously in looks a, looks a real prospect for the next, you know, a, a, someone who could bat in the Australian team for a number of years. Uh, hugely impressive. Uh, Harris and Kawaja are both opening in this test match that's going on at Derbyshire. Neither have been dismissed. They are, seem to be auditioning for a role uh, opening alongside David Warner, who's had one score of note in the series semi-note at least in the series thus far which leads us to believe that Matthew Wade and Travis Head will get a, um, will get a reprieve Look, Travis Head got two unplayable deliveries in in, in this test match uh, from uh, from big booming in swinger from Ben Stokes and absolute beauty from Stuart Broad in the first innings who by the way Stuart Broad is bowling probably as well as he's ever bowled in yeah, test cricket you, um, you know even if his figures aren't quite the uh, the Trent Bridge demolition jobs. I think since the West Indies series, he's been bowling magnificently. Um, and the thought of a fully fit Archer, Broad, and Anderson bowling bowling together is a tantalising one. It looks as though Mitchell Stark, uh, who took three wickets in and over yesterday, might be coming back in. Maybe he comes into Peter Siddle uh, and and Australia goes. Sorry, not Peter Siddle because he was replaced by James Pattinson. Maybe he comes in for. Uh, uh, so Australia going with with Cummins uh, and Stark and uh, and Pattinson or or some or Hazelwood sorry and uh, Pattinson drops out again. Um, yeah, it, it's some indication that um, you know I completely forgot about Josh Hazelwood who's bowled superbly in the last two Test matches when I was talking about Mitchell Stark and they've got Nathan Lyon who's just gone past DK Lilly. Um, but Stark seems to be coming in. Who he comes in for uh, remains to be seen. I would expect that Australia will go in with Cummins, Hazelwood, and Stark and Lyon as their uh, as their attack. You know, reuniting the Fab Four that uh, that did for England down under, um, and then you know maybe Kawaja opens with uh, with Warner Smith comes in at three. Yeah, well, I thought maybe Labuschagne would be more of a three candidate and Smith to four, Smith but four, that's what I assume. But yeah, there's a lot of assu- I'm still trying to work out. There's a lot of assumption that Stark will play and. And I believe he went well yesterday. And, of course, the, the, it's a great headache for the, how to fit all these these five quicks in. And maybe they had a strategy at the beginning of the summer that they've never told us. And, and maybe the, the, they're all good to go. I just, I'm not 100% sure that Stark will come in. Uh, it remains, you know, um, I would personally, I think Pattinson would go well. I did, they shouldn't overreact to that second innings that England got away with. I think the way they rolled, the way those three guys harnessed Stark. Stark seems to me would be a better idea at the oval. You know, if you, if if Australia are then on, are, on are a desperate flat, on a flatter pitch, yeah. If if, Star, if Australia need to win at the oval, I think they might come into Old Trafford just a more slightly containing approach. Well, that's what they've done through the series, and it's you know learning the lessons of 2015, where they went in with Stark and Johnson and only one sort of holding bowler, and it wasn't until they picked Siddle at the oval that they had the necessary control, and they've gone with control and it's worked. Because the pitches have been pitches where you don't need to make anything happen. Yeah. You know, Old Trafford is a good batting wicket, but it, it, you know, it does also uh, provide for the spinners and for the fast bowlers more with bounce than with movement but you know the way this ball Duke ball is going there's going to be movement and with the skill of these guys there's going to be some movement out there maybe you do pick him from the oval which is a f- much flatter slower wicket mm. um, where you might need that extra pace and his ability to swing the ball but look, if Mitchell Stark is in good rhythm and he's swinging the ball he's a massive weapon on any pitch mm-hmm. um, as you say it, it's it, it's quite the problem to have and it you know India find it to a lesser extent with with Amush Yadav who can't get into the team um, regardless of um, regardless of the conditions, because he's either left out for an extra seamer or an extra spinner, and you know the West Indies have Alzari Joseph and so forth waiting uh, waiting in the wings, and maybe Sheldon Cottrell. Um, but um, but I want to go to Mass then. Yeah, Mass would, would you pick Big Mitch? I just think there's been three tests, um, and as as much as I was um, trying to agitate earlier on. <laughs> They have been very, very engaging, <laughs> um, whatever I think of the quality. And I just think that we're four tests deep next week, and you have a fully fresh 
Mitchell Stark. I just don't see how you don't unleash him irrespective of what's going on, particularly if you're coming off a loss. Um, and I'm looking at, if, if Anderson comes in, I'm looking at Broad, um, Archer, Anderson versus Cummins, Hazelwood slash Pattinson, whichever one, and Stark. And that's and to me, that's a more even matchup. I see Stark as an out-and-out wicket-taking Correct. bowler. Correct. And I just think if you're coming off a loss, you have to unleash him. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's a good conundrum to have uh, if you're in if you're in Australia's um, if you're in Australia's boat. But but the problem they've got, of course, and where I think England have a massive advantage over them, isn't just Stokes because of his batting, but Stokes obviously offers England an, an extra um, a genuine fifth bowler. Yeah, and. There were times in England's chase um, in the third test where it was like, this is where the four bowler strategy is now coming undone for them. There's no one to turn to. Um, sure, the all to round. Just different, to, to, to just have a different approach of any sort. Well, sure. I mean, they, they bowl Lavashane for a few overs, and, you know, Smith can bowl a few overs, but they're, they're seam bowling all round is Mitchell Marsh, and, you know, Michael Neese has never played a test match. Um, he has a good record. Remains to be seen whether he'll be any good. He took some wickets yesterday. Whether he'll be as useful on a on a you know rather than an underprepared county wicket compared to a you know a very good and fast track at Old Trafford remains to be seen. And which of the batters do they leave out for him? Because that's the that's the issue as well. I don't see that Australia will deviate from the four bowler strategy. Ironically, actually, Mitchell Stark would have been very, very useful in that in the situation they found themselves in at Headingley, where they're trying to wrap up the tail, and uh, when they're trying to bowl at attacking batsmen. Do you think teams? Just a little quick one here. Just intrigued about both your opinions here, because um, we, we touched on it when we looked when we were looking at West Indies India. I'm surprised Australia have gone with a four. With a with yeah, a four man. But, but they haven't got a they haven't got a fifth. They've gone with the four because they haven't got the fifth. Um, and Australia haven't had period, many periods in recent times, but they've had one. You know, Shane Watson was good for ten restrictive overs, um, you know, ten fifteen restrictive overs in the innings. But you know, the last seam bowling all rounder that Australia, a proper rounder, Australia had. It's been a long time. Steve Waugh, Simon O'Donnell. <laughs> now, what about what about? Now let's go get on to England then. Uh, the, this I know you've mentioned. Um, well. Uh, Mash the papering. Are you going to paper over these cracks, or have you got some poly? I've got some poly filler, and it's called Ollie Pope. It always sounds like poly filler. He's going in at four. Yeah, Roy. Roy has to go. He's shot, isn't he? Even though Ollie Pope doesn't bat four for Surrey, and is only he batted four for Surrey last week, and he got oh, two hundred thirty-one. Not out. Yeah. Um, I know. I know. Yeah. I, he can't bat any higher than four. I agree. But he, he should come into the team. When he came in at four against India last year, it was the first time he'd ever batted in the first 15 I know, overs. I know, I know, I know, I know. But you're but saying Roy's shot regardless. I think, he's one of the I think Pope is now one of the best six batsmen in England. And uh, let's get... Roy's not an opening batsman. Roy And Roy shouldn't just doesn't deserve to remain in the team after four games. I'm sorry. As much as the, the win, that, that could be the wallpaper, the, the, the fact they won that last game and they might stick with the confident boisterous 11 men World Cup winners and all that I think he's got to go and then again then I'm stuck between wallpaper or polyfill Denley to open would be wallpapering wouldn't it let's well let's so Denley moves from I'm sacrificial number 4 to sacrificial opener well no I've just in the last 3 minutes I've convinced myself I'm a polyfiller <laughs> man Sibley makes his debut at so you Trafford. say to Joe Denley thanks very much you've done better than you could possibly have been expected to Time to get the man in. Well, that would be the polyfiller approach. What it, what I'd, I'd be interested to know what, in terms of this, which is a nice theme of papering over the cracks, is Joe Denley going to deliver an Ashes win? Or has he done as, has he peaked? What, what, do, the, what, what do the Aussies want to see Denley opening? Or do they want to see him walking out at four again? I think they probably do. I think they'd be happy with him opening than, than with him in the middle order. Um, I... I I'm confused as to why England didn't pick Dom Sibley earlier. Well, if forget, there's a lot of time, the time for that has passed. What do they do now, Naka? What do they do now? I don't think they will bring in Sibley for this test I match. I don't think you change a winning side. But should side. they? I, no, I don't agree that you don't change a winning side. I would argue they probably should. If you think that Dom Sibley is the man and you think that Roy is in the middle, is the best man in the middle order, bring Sibley in for Denley 
open with him and bat Roy in the middle order. Uh, but you also have this issue that Joe Root is actually considerably better at number four than he is at number mm-hmm. three. Uh, I don't know who you pick there. Maybe Zach Crawley, but how many changes... Come on, Knuckle. May I want you to be yeah, yeah, Ed yeah. Smith here. Nail your colours to the mast. I think, I think that if there is a change, it will be Denley and Roy swapping positions. What should happen? What should happen is they should open with Dom Sibley and Rory Burns, drop Joe Denley and bring Roy down into the middle order. Okay. I don't think that's what will happen, but that's what should happen. And what okay. will happen is there'll just be a no change. You think <laughs> you'll be right? Well, there we go. There's well, three. actually, no. What should happen is that Ben Stokes moves up to number three, Root shuffles down to four, and Roy butts five. Would you do that to Stokes after... Yeah. I would yeah. have done it six months ago. But, but you would do it in the concept now after yeah. what he's just been through. He's ready to go. Yeah. I suppose, yeah, we'll harness his absolute... Superhuman. Yeah, uh, I'm, yeah. you know, I, I'm if you need Stokes it. as a bowler, it's a bu- yeah, fine. Yeah. It's a bonus. You know, you know, think of him as Callis, not Flintoff. Sure. No. Yeah. yeah I, I like that mm. argument. I've, it's been there. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll continue to yes. read the tea leaves. We'll continue to uh, to pick over the entries. We'll continue to watch the flight of the birds and uh, all other such. Uh, prognosticating nonsense but that wraps it up for this edition of the gorilla cricket podcast thank you to rog thank you to mash thank you to producer john uh remember you can get the pod before anyone else by signing up to be a patron at patreon.com forward slash gorilla cricket uh and uh if you don't want to wait uh or rather if you do want to wait and don't want to pay you cheapskate uh you can get it on itunes podbean acast or spotify uh we'll be back uh next week uh after the second day of uh, the fourth test match but join us again on Wednesday at 10.45 or 10.50am UK time for our coverage of the uh, fourth test match from Old Trafford until then from everyone here at Gorilla Cricket goodbye bye bye Podcast Network.